Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome, weary traveler. Need a short rest? Oh, I see. They said you'd be showing up about now. Come on, through the portal. Best not keep the lower mistress and more master waiting. You know how they get. Robots Radio presents The Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. The best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons and Dragons. Hello and welcome to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. My name is Sergio and I am joined this week by a special guest co-host. I will let them do the honors of introducing themselves. Go right on ahead. Howdy, friends. That's, I, I that's not, how, that you that's no. not uh, how you talk. No. Hello, everyone. My, my name is Adam Seats. Uh, I was here a very long time ago talking about, well, Spelljammer, I think, or just begging you to talk about Spelljammer. Um, but yeah, no, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me, Sergio. No, absolutely. We we discussed Spelljammer. We discussed uh, your work, One Night Strahd, which is still one of my favorite things to ever come out of the homebrew community. Uh, and we will, I will mention it uh, to your chagrin several times throughout this episode. <laughs> uh, but I think everyone should at least uh, try it. Uh, the the shortened version of it. It's, it's okay. So. Before we get any further, One Night Strahd, it is a kind of, it's like a remix of the Curse of Strahd campaign. And you can play it either in like three to four normal three to four hour sessions. And or one the... very long, very, oh, yeah. very long marathon session. <laughs> Which is incredible because, and this is part of the reason that it was written this way, like due to your research, most campaigns kind of trail off at a certain point. You know, people get busy, uh, you know, real life gets in the way and you never people end up never finishing full length campaigns that they start. And so this is a way to enjoy you know, both the story of a full length campaign uh, while also still getting, you know, to play D&D on a, on a semi regular basis. I also for, for anyone who might go look at it and think, wait, why? Why did why did they say this is a shorter version and it's twice the length of the Curse of Strahd book? um because it is it's it's almost like 600 pages it's chunky uh i actually since we last spoken um there are now print-on-demand copies of it and i have one and it is thick um but the reason why it is so thick is uh there's all sorts of stuff for dms um like a lot of like how we approached rebuilding encounters um tools that you can sort of take and use for your own stuff to keep it moving um, so that you don't have to roll for every goblin in the horde of goblins when you have three characters and 
you get one turn before everybody has to go home for the weekend. Like, um, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of extra stuff, and we've got a whole bunch of like maps and things for it now. So, uh, if you buy it, well, I mean, you have to buy it through DMs Guild, but uh, but no matter what, you'll end up getting PDF copies of the book, and then you get the um all the maps and you know virtual tabletop things that are all the rage these days. So we will have a link in the show notes, obviously. Um, but you definitely can buy it on uh, DMs Guild. $18 for the PDF. You can also buy the uh, print edition, which it's immaculately illustrated. The illustrations, the the artwork is incredible. Uh, like I said, I would be beside myself if I, if I didn't bring it up, you know, at least once during the episode. I'll probably bring it up a couple of times throughout, but uh, it's very exciting to have you back on the show um, because you know, you know your stuff. You know your stuff. You know how D&D works. You know, uh, you know some lore. Which I know why, very specific lore, which is unfortunately. <laughs> well, it's it's which is why you're here for this episode because we're talking some of that very specific lore. I, I reached out to you. I was like, what, do, what what would you like to talk about? And and you said, I really wanted to talk about uh, spells above tenth level, uh, specifically because I learned about all of this when I was researching things for Spelljammer things, and it becomes extremely relevant. Um, but yeah, also just to answer the question, it's like, hey, wait a minute. How come I can only cast ninth level spells? I know they got them 10th level ones. And uh turns out the the answer is strange and spooky. As befitting Dungeons and Dragons. So let's let's get right into it. Let's get into this high-level magic talk. So the time is about negative 340 DR. The place is the Netherese. Empire. Now, Netheril was a place of great power and especially of great magic. The two are very much intertwined with each other. Uh, because of discoveries and innovations in magic, Netheril was unlike any empire the world had ever seen or would ever see again. I mean, this is the Egyptian civilization to, to us. This would be the Roman uh, civilization to us. This is something that um, to our modern sensibilities is seems uh, unbelievable, you know, based on like the technology they had at the time. Right. It's, it's fun. I love that. It is the trope of the like super advanced civilization, super far in the past. And then the world has not completely regressed, but the world has lost access to all of this. And then people stumble across it, you know, hidden in the ground or, god knows where else and then suddenly it's like oh god why is this ancient super weapon come back to life it's right a, it's exactly a good trope. no it, it, it's a great trope it's fantastic uh so there was an arch wizard by the name of iolam who was mostly responsible for much of netherul's prosperity um he was uh the one who invented the flying city although that was based on magic that was developed by someone else who we will discuss uh, in the sh further on in the show, but um, and these flying cities, these flying enclaves, made up much of the Netherese Empire, as well uh, as inventing the Mythalar, which helped fuel the magic needed to sustain them. Now, a Mythalar is sort of like a giant crystal ball, about a hundred and fifty foot big crystal ball, and it acted essentially as a source of raw magic. Like this is cold nuclear fusion in the time of in the time of uh, Netheril, essentially. But I think oh I'm go, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I say I think um I think I mean a little bit of a spoiler here for um Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, but like I, I think there are still even references to this and perhaps ones you can even go visit if you try hard enough um in in rhyme of the frost maiden and it's it's wild how that has like still carried through with as much of D, D has changed over the years certain big big magic like mythalars is uh i don't know it's real neat to see it pop back up oh no it's cool and and, and you know there is a lot to not be happy about um, in the uh, on the corporate side of D and D and and, and Watsi and Hasbro, yeah. <laughs> um, but I feel that like so many of the uh, people working on the D and D product are just 
big D and D nerds and like stuff like like in, like you know including like an Easter egg Mythalar in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden is exactly what a D and D nerd would do, and so uh, it kind of it kind of pains me when I, I feel like they're like kind of stuck you know between a rock and a hard place like working on something they love so much but also you know having sort of being at the um at the uh, mercy of a uh, of a faceless corporation. Is as though you were on some sort of flying city, and then all of a sudden the magic that keeps it aloft uh, goes away. And that is what we call an allegory, <laughs> dear listener. So in negative 339 DR, this archwizard, Iolam, he disappears. Uh, several of his friends, including Karsis, who becomes a um, major player in the next few years, believes that he has left Netheril because he depended heavily on the magic to maintain his life. He was apparently nearly 3,000 years old. And as far as Iolum is concerned, um, we don't want to sidetrack, don't want to side quest too much into this, um, but uh, there's Lichdom, there's uh, Alhoons, there's uh, Elder Brains, there's a lot going on with Iolum, uh, you know, past this. His story definitely doesn't end at this point. So panic surges through Netheril as the citizens have learned of Iolum's disappearance. And the other archwizards that remained fear that there's some might be some kind of revolt. You know, you know it's essentially if um, if you're living uh in the United States, if the, the president goes missing, or if you're living uh in in England, the prime minister, you know, the, the head of state essentially goes missing. You, don't know exactly what's going on. Karsis, feeling the responsibility for Netherul's future on his shoulders, felt that it was his duty to uh, weld the nation back together. And this is where things go awry, <laughs> for lack of a better term. I feel, um, you know, the uh, pride go with before the fall sort of thing. Uh, the, that, that, that mantra sort of uh, comes into play here. Quite literally in this case. But um yes, there are flying cities after all. So he has finished a spell that he had been working on for years, and he cast it upon himself. Now, this spell is called Karsis's Avatar, and it is the only 12th level spell ever created, and it was designed to temporarily steal the powers of a deity. Now, that spell, that's, I can understand why it doesn't exist within the game, because that is absolutely OP. Oh, no, it's bonkers. Like, that's absolutely, like, the the plot of a quest kind of spell. And so, he casts the spell, and he chooses the goddess of magic, Mistral, on, on whom to temporarily steal the powers of. And in the process, Karsis changes forever the way that magic functions. Because knowledge has always outweighed wisdom, they say. And Karsis is no exception. I love the description of this. It says his body swelled with the sudden influx of godly power. I uh, I think of Total Recall. Oh when, yeah! When I read that. <laughs> two weeks, two weeks, and uh, I shudder uh, because that is—I've <laughs> uh, seen—I'm a huge fan of like just like gross-out horror movies, and that might be one of the grossest things I've seen in a movie, uh, horror, action, or otherwise. Uh, so his body swells with this sudden influx of godly power, and his mind is filled with unimaginable knowledge. At this instant, he realizes the horrible mistake that he has made. He stole the power from the one God he shouldn't have. See, we've discussed the spell weave before, and it's something that obviously shouldn't be trifled with. You know, Mistral's position calls for one of the aspects of her psyche to constantly rework the weave of magic. You know, the weave that Netheril and its glut of magic and the Faerim, these um, sort of um, arcane draining monsters, uh, 
that you know uh their magic drain spells constantly threaten to unravel so this whole time that netheril is is, is using its mythalar using this this tool to harness raw magic and the Feyrim are using their magic drain spells it's always threatening the spell weave in a way and so part of Mistral's job essentially is to constantly work at you know making it not unravel so when Mistral loses her ability to keep the weave of essential magic which is magic in its purest unadulterated form when she loses her ability to keep that intact, the overflow of magic surges and fluctuates and the effects of all things magical double for a short time. Essentially, Karsis broke magic. <laughs> magic was broken. Yeah, I love it. It's like one of those um, the well, I guess maybe I'm on a particular part of Facebook sometimes, but you know, they they say the like the cable that you do not make where it's uh you know a plug that plugs into the wall, but the other end of the plug is also a plug that plugs into the wall. And you know, it's like don't make this. If you plug both into the wall, you will short out your house and probably kill yourself. Um and this is that. Yeah. It's just that with magic. It's just it's just that, but with magic, exactly. And so Mistral has to sacrifice herself to save the weave before the damage becomes irreparable. And this also breaks Karsis's link to her magic and obstructed the weave. So at so for a short while, magic is doubled. And at this point, once the once Mistral has to sacrifice herself, and then once the you know, once Karsis's link to her magic is broken and the weave is obstructed, now no magic works. First we had regular magic, then we had double magic, and then we have no magic. All within a very short period of time. That's fine. That's that's a Tuesday. That's and yeah, for and and D and D, that's a Tuesday. So without the infusion of magic, the floating cities of Netheril fell, uh, and Karsis is instantly slain, as are millions, uh, you know, if you know, not billions of people. And it says that his bloated body, petrified and toppled from the high plateau above his flying city and plummeted to earth. As his body fell, his stony eyes, still shimmering with the last glint of godly omniscience, caught a glimpse of the cities of Netheril smashing to the ground, killing all their inhabitants. His heart broke. Greed for the power of the deities themselves caused the destruction of his home, his family, his friends, and his people. Yeah, I mean, I I could see it's one of those sort of, you know, what have I done sort of moments that every, and not, not to say that Karsis was like a super villain, but like every kind of like super villain has. Oh, absolutely. I I do find that particular wording very interesting, though, um, saying his heart broke because uh, it quite literally does uh, bo both, you know, uh, emotionally, but also. Uh, his heart is one of the things that sticks around uh, and we don't have to get super deep into it, but uh, it becomes sort of an artifact of power for a whole bunch of very, very greedy spellcasters. But it is represented as a broken heart, like leaking silver fluid of some sort. Oh, yes, we will. We will talk about that for sure. Oh, juicy. <laughs> so this entire situation, debacle, uh, unfortunateness. Kerfuffle. Is, <laughs> Kerfuffle is known as Karsis's folly. Uh which I I love. Um, you know, it's uh probably a, a reference to uh Seward's folly. I was just thinking that. Which but like Seward's folly was Alaska. Like well, I mean, I just I like the idea of like someone messing something up and then like that situation being known as that person's folly now. It is extremely funny. Like, but I, I am just in my mind. It's like, hmm, which one was worse? Buying Alaska or killing everyone in Nether? <laughs> well, almost everyone. It's all about perspective, I suppose. It's true. So when Mistral reincarnates herself, this time as Mistra, who you're probably more familiar with, 
She uses the form of a beautiful peasant girl learning the basics of cantrip magic, but with the capacities for arch wizardry. And her first priority was to recreate the weave of magic. But this time, she made magic follow a few more rules. And one of those rules was no spell above 10th level would function. By the time that she was completed, she was able to save only three of Netheril's loading cities. The rest were utterly destroyed. The three, Honoria, Asram, and Hanthloth, were high, <laughs> were high enough above the ground to survive. So I guess uh, they were floating high enough that they, you know, they were able to survive by the mere fact that they had more time to fall, I guess. You know, I, I've been to Disney World. I've ridden the Tower of Terror. I know how this works. It's fantastic. It's a great ride. <laughs> the cities uh, land safely. The survivors stumble away from them in shock. Priests and priestesses of the new goddess of magic were told the story of Karsis in dreams and vision when they prayed for spells. This was essentially Mistra's attempt to make sure that nothing like this ever happened again. I mean, you have someone, and what's what makes this all the worse is this wasn't necessarily done uh, in ter- you know this wasn't done for personal gain. You know, while Carses might have been misguided in his attempt, he essentially did this to keep his society, his 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 home, uh, intact. And so, in that in that respect, I can I can somewhat understand you know understand where he's coming from. It's true. It's it's one of those things. Like again, I love me a good classic fantasy trope, but someone someone blinded literally by their own power, like cra- crashing over that tipping point of, uh, you know, knowing, yeah, I have the power to to fix this problem. To, yeah, I'm gonna fix this problem no matter what. And that that just that brief moment, that uh, that fatal moment, it's I don't know. It's it is good. It just that's that stuff I like. That's that that sweet, sweet temptation of darkness. That's that's what I love. Oh, it's 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 some of the juiciest lore. Love it so much. Like we were we were talking um, about the uh, the gif just a few weeks ago, the pronouncement of two skies. You know, there cannot be two skies where that essentially fractured the Gith people between the Gith Yankee and the Gith Zorai. You know, it's it's one of those like really tragic things uh, in D&D lore and, you know, and other sort of uh, that have become tropes that, you know, that are um, come from other sorts of mythology and, and stories that really resonate with people and, and make make my job a whole lot more fun, <laughs> to be honest. That's true. And it's it's one of those things where like as obviously fantastical as it is like you know a a well-written allegory a a well-written cautionary tale like you know we can all look at that and go okay well you know i'm never going to be in a situation where i can literally steal the power of the god of magic and you know ascend to everything and take control but you know there might be someday when i do have a lot of power and i'm going to be tempted to do something with it and uh it will it will end very badly and you know, sometimes people look at these things and go, ha ha, pretty fun game, love game. And then, you know, sometimes people <laughs> take a couple seconds to think about it. Oh, no, if I ever, um, I know personally, if I ever get the opportunity to temporarily steal the power of a god, you know, I will think about Karsis. Karsis will cross my mind. Probably not. I'll probably do it. It's, <laughs> and end up bloated and stony-eyed and heartbroken, just like... <laughs> Just like Karsis. You know, they're for, for all we say, everybody deep at their core just wants to be Emperor Palpatine. Everybody just wants unlimited power. That's, I mean, he he gets to wear no he doesn't have to wear pants. Everyone's at his beck and call. It's fantastic. He shoots lightning out of his fingers. What more could you want? Literally zero problems. I don't I don't see why he's a bad character. Why is he bad? So uh so yeah, so this was Mistra's attempt to make sure nothing like this ever happens again. Yet Karsis is credited as being the only human to have ever achieved godhood through spellcasting, even if it was only for a fleeting moment. So some 10th level spells still do exist. 
because of Mistress Ban, which is what you know the the banning of higher level spells is known as. Current day spellcasters no longer have access to true spells of tenth level or higher. Now, mechanically, and we'll we'll talk about this in the second half of the show. Uh, access to epic magic comes via two different types of feats. You have improved spellcasting capacity, and you also have epic spellcasting. Now, the improved spellcasting capacity feat grants spell slots above ninth, theoretically without limit. And so before Mistress Ban, powerful mages could fill these spell slots either with true spells of 10th level or higher, or with ninth level spells or lower uh, that are fortified by various meta magic feats. Now, after Mistress Ban, only the uh, latter option remains available. So only ninth level spells are lower. And the epic spell casting feat allows the development and casting of epic spells because Mistress Ban doesn't actually apply to epic spells, even those that duplicate the effects of 10th level and higher spells developed before the fall of Netheril. So it, it's probably also important to note, if uh, if you haven't caught on to this one, that our our lore today starts back in second edition, and these uh, these epic spellcasting things. That's all uh, when third and three point five edition comes around, um, which you know uh, we, we we talk about more later. But there there is a there is a logical design progression of like why some of these things start to come back and how they interact in certain ways and why, if you only know 5th edition, why it sounds like we're speaking netherese to you. Right, exactly. Like, I, if you are only familiar with 5th with edition, the, the idea of a 10th level spell might seem like homebrew to you. Uh, but it they do exist. And uh, we can definitely talk about um, maybe how to incorporate some of that uh, in 5th edition. So, that's mechanically, that's how how player characters can cast 10th level spells in terms of lore why epic spells are are sort of immune to the band is because they did exist during the days of netheril but the netherese largely abandoned their development after the discovery of the nether scrolls so it kind of seems as if they operate on two sort of different wavelengths of the spell weave you have these epic spells that have have always existed, continue to exist, separate of the high level magic that the Netherese were developing and 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 in using. And so, during the age of Netheril, epic spells were largely the province of the Fair Folk, and thus were almost exclusively associated with Elven high magic. The Netherese, for their part, preferred to develop and use. 10th level and higher spells of their own. And so there is still definitely a way to finesse your spellcaster into a spell that is higher than ninth level. And like I said, we will discuss that and some of the fun spells that you can use uh, when we come back from the break. Welcome to the middle of the show where we do all of our weekly housekeeping stuff. Like thanking all the listeners. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you for supporting it. If you want to support the show in other ways beyond listening, you can follow us on all the social medias, engage with us there. Uh, you can join the Discord and join the conversation that we're having there. There's always a bunch of uh, fun stuff going on, memes, character builds, campaign ideas, homebrew, campaign settings, a lot of stuff like that. Uh, we've been building and cultivating a really fun and awesome community over the past couple of years, and I couldn't be more proud and more humbled by it. It's awesome. It's it's exactly what uh, I would want from, from doing this show. Um, also, we have a Patreon, so thank you so much to all the patrons over at patreon.com slash Lorecast. Over there, you can get um, ad-free early episodes. You can get all of the legacy episodes, over 60 episodes that Tom, Tom Robots and Stuart Watkinson um, did at the beginning of the show's life. You can also get um, bonus content, 
uh, uh, bonus episode every single month, uh, two Patreon Plus installments. Uh, you can also get uh, merchandise, free merch, free D&D Lorecast merch. You can also get invitations to both the patron roundtables and to the upcoming patron actual plays that we'll be releasing that we've already recorded one. It's a lot of fun. It's so much. It's so cool. Being able to play D and D with the listeners is, is something uh, that I always wanted to do and never thought or thought maybe wouldn't be possible. But thanks to y'all it's, it's, it's happening and it's, it's so much fun. Um, but yeah, you can go there. You can go to that website, go to the Patreon and then see if there's anything there that tickles your fancy uh, support the show that way if you're not if uh if you'd like and see what else um as far as dnd news goes um the biggest news is and i hate having to i hate that it keeps being brought up um but we've got there's an ai not even it wasn't even a controversy it was like a, it was a, a fake controversy um some content creators were um essentially accusing uh wizards and the dnd team on wizards of of continuing to use AI even after they released a statement saying that they would not be using AI in any of their work. Um, and um, that was turned out to be completely false. The artist in question whose artwork was being questioned, um, denied it, produced, you know, work in progress sketches of, of the, of the finished work. Um, and then, you know, Wizards and the D&D team had to double down and say like, hey, like we for over 50 years, we have been using real artists doing real work and we will continue to do so, which, you know, is very heartening um, in these in this age of, you know, um, in this corporate era of D&D where it seems they are very much beholden to um, and, and we kind of discussed this a little bit, Adam and myself, uh, they're beholden to um you know corporate whims um as as you know evidenced by the 1100 layoffs that Hasbro uh did in the past couple of weeks not all of them being on the D&D team of course but you know it's still you know these are real people with real lives and there's it's not a matter of of margins or, or you know dollars and cents so but on to something more lighthearted as far as the homebrew pick of the week, uh, we're going to let Adam decide what is going to be. I, I wanted it to be One Night Strahd, which you can find a link in the show notes uh, for $18. You can buy the PDF on DMs Guild. Uh, but they were like, no, no, I, 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 want, I want to you know, help out somebody else. Um, I guess whatever that's what's not, known as humility. Yeah, not that this person needs the help, but oh, for sure. Absolutely. But what did you, what did you want to talk about? Yeah. So, I, I mean, yeah, if you want to know more about One Night Strahd, there is a there's an episode on this very channel. You can go back and listen to it and have a great time. <laughs> um, but I wanted to share one of my favorite third party books from back in the day. Since we're talking about all this old second edition, third edition uh, stuff, malarkey. Um, yeah, malarkey. Uh, I I love this particular book. You can find it on Drive Through RPG. Um, you may be able to go out into the wide world and find a hard copy. Um, I think I bought mine off of Abe Books, um, but it is the Complete Guide to Doppelgangers, written by Keith Baker and published by Goodman Games. Um, it is, as far as I remember, one of the earliest Goodman Games publications. Um, it was they they had a whole line of like the complete guide to whatever but um the complete guide to doppelgangers if you like sort of how um eberron treats shapeshifters uh if you like how even actually they've they've brought some of this forward into 5th edition how there are some of the giant mimics the the mimics that are as big as buildings or mimic colonies or or things like that a lot of that stuff got its start in this book um it's just it's very wild it's um you know again for if you're running a modern game not everything's going to be applicable or you may look at it and go oh yeah they they republished that in whatever but i think there's still some some meat on them their bones and for a grand total of seven dollars for the pdf it's it's worth it man just if you want to have a laugh, it's not a long read. It's it's well worth the $7, but 
Um, if if you want that kind of monster in your game, if you want to have fun with shapeshifters, uh, this this is an essential book. Oh yeah, it's, I mean it's from the from Keith Baker, so you absolutely know that it's it's quality. It's from Goodman Games, who we are big fans of everything that they do, from Dungeon Crawl Classics to Mutant Crawl Classics to X Crawl. Um, but yeah, the complete guide to doppelgangers features the true origin of these bizarre creatures, background on doppelgangers' social structure, including their various life stages and details on how they have penetrated human and demi-human society, uh, unique campaign ideas and adventure hooks. I mean, it's not just mechanic stuff that you think, since it's 3.5, that you think you might not might not be applicable, like you said, but there's still a lot of lore stuff that you could definitely use, and obviously that's that's kind of why we're here. Yeah, it's it's worth a read, even if you're just, even if you've just got you know seven dollars just burning a hole in your bank account. Just I I would say it's worth it. Absolutely, yeah. And there's a link in the show notes as well as one to one night straw. <clears throat> that being said, let's jump back to the show. Welcome back. We are talking high-level magic with Adam Seats, and we are going to discuss some some of our favorite 10th, 11th, and 12th level spells, although there's only the one 12th level spell, which is uh, Karsus' Avatar, but some of our favorite 10th level spells, I suppose. I, I, I also got to say, like, back in 3.5, third edition, like, if you started getting into epic level play, and by epic level, I mean like above 20th level, things got goofy. Um, because like the game, the game doesn't like to exist at that high level. Um, it, it is very much the Mr. Me Seeks, like, <laughs> uh, just existence is pain to an epic level character. <laughs> um, it when when you're doing stuff like that, like they wrote these rules because. Obviously, they wanted to have rules for gods and things like that. And there was another right, book, right. aside from the um, the epic level handbook, there's Deities and Demigods, uh, which also deals with playing gods and things as characters. Um, but just the... Uh, we don't have to get into the mechanics. We'd be here for a year trying to explain all of that. Um, but there are some very funny results from... Uh, from those epic spells that we were talking about earlier. Uh, and whoever wrote these, they just, they had a real good sense of humor when it came to naming things. <laughs> I uh, mean, at a, yeah, at a certain point, it's like, look, the spell will speak for itself. It doesn't have to have some epic name. It's true. Like, okay, for for example, I guess we should compare. Like, we have on the official side of things, on the, uh, the pre-ban era we have proctive's breach crystal sphere um uh, a spell by a, a wizard named proctive that allowed spell jamming to happen uh, this was how people got out of the crystal spheres that they were in to go sail through wild space um or it could be used to close breaches so that you could protect your uh your realm from uh from invaders right it's a the method to enter to exit these crystal spheres that uh, these realms were encased in, you know, get into and out of wild space and kind of follows the 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 trope of naming the spell after the mage that created it. Sure. But then, like, on the epic side of things, you have let go of me. Let go of me. <laughs> Just let go of me. And, and what, is, what does a a mage who casts let go of me, what can the, uh, what can... The person being affected, what can they expect? I okay. So again, without getting into the mechanics of how you cast or develop these spells, because that's too much. Um, it's a free action to cast. That means you don't you don't burn your action, you don't burn your bonus action. It's just, oh no, you want to cast let go of me? You do. Um you target one creature or force grappling you, and you immediately make it uh make it take 20 d6 points of damage. Um, there's no, there's no type to the damage. It's not even force damage, right? It is just untyped damage. You get 20 D six damage to the face. Um, and 
if you're grappled by a magical force like a Bigby's hand or anything like that, it just goes away. You just blow it up. You just say, nope, let go of me. I would prefer that you did not touch me now. Thank you. And you explode. And I know like Lore Mistress Mary is a bit of a math rock goblin, and she will admittedly so. Uh, I would be surprised if, even if she had 20 D6s just lying around. Oh, yeah. No, you got to be like a Warhammer player. Like, <laughs> like you... let's let's crack open the Monopoly uh, games, use some of those. Uh, truly. Like, that's the, all right, everybody at the table, just cough up your D6s. Uh, <laughs> you know, we'll sort them out in the end. Of... Um, but like, okay, again, let's, let's go back to uh, another, like, you know, well-named proper proper uh 10th or 11th level spell um we have valdic sphere sail which is a, a spell that basically lets you conjure a spell jammer but instead of having to have a helm to to control it um if you're in realm space in the world of the forgotten realms um you draw your power directly from the god of magic uh, obviously at the time it was mistral um if you're outside of that sphere and you're just cruising around, you just siphon power from wherever you go from any of the other crystal spheres. It is wild. You, I mean, it's, it's almost like, um, who is it in transformers? Like Unicron. Like you're just, you're just siphoning power from everywhere. You're just not going quite full, uh, Galactus mode eating planets about it. Not yet. At least no, but then, you know, for, for something is, grandiose is that um sergey why don't you tell us about nailed to the sky so nailed to the sky you essentially just yeet someone into lower orbit uh your spell fixes the target to the heavens nailed to the sky actually places the target so far from the surface of the world and at such a speed that it keeps missing the surface as it falls back so it enters an eternal orbit. I mean, yeah, you are. And I, I nail to the sky definitely has um, feels like it's a nine inch nails B side. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like definitely like some maybe like um, it's definitely like some like German industrial uh, like vibes going on to it. Uh, and yeah, you're just you just yeet someone into orbit and it's amazing it's incredible and that i feel that of all of these that that no longer like exist in more or less in 5e i feel like this one has the most 5e energy of any of any of these spells because like what i i mean i i, I could definitely see this in critical role or in dimension dimension 20 game someone casting nail to the sky and just like i said yeeting someone yeeting a monster I... <laughs> yeah. like and you know what it is? It's the it's the team rocket is blasting off spell. Like it is. if you want it to is. make someone go be a star in the sky and twinkle away, what so you can get on with the rest of your life, cast nailed to the sky. And what would be great? You do that, and then that feature, that person, that whatever it, whoever it was that you did that to, comes back and be, ends and ends up being the BBEG. Oh sure. I, I mean it's it's got to be right. I mean yeah they they will have plenty of time. To think about their sins uh, while they're cycling around the planet. Yeah, while uh, they're floating around. You know, I, I could almost imagine, like, if someone gets nailed to the sky in, um, you know, in Toral, right? Like, there is the Great Modron March where they just march around the outside, or I yep. guess the, the inner side of the Crystal Sphere. Like, could you just imagine just bumping around and just all of a sudden these dumb one-eyed cubes start walking your way? Just like, no, please take me, <laughs> pull me down. <laughs> a little help here, a little help. I, I just for for as much as Dungeons and Dragons wants to be such a a grim, serious game, and like it it was like that for the the big like theoretical optimization community back in the day. Who, you know, everyone's like, I must know how the numbers go up. I must make the numbers go up you would end up with situations where it's like, okay, I have figured out how the numbers go up. And as a result, I can now justify why someone gets yeeted into the, into orbit. Right. Exactly. Like, it's just, it's so silly. 
I what what's like that that meme like you know um how every D and D campaign starts and it's a shot of the the Fellowship of the Ring, and then how every D and D campaign ends up being and it's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Exactly. Uh, I I will say to that end there is one other epic spell which I enjoy a lot just both for funny vibes and also for classic vibes because if any of you out there are uh, are Final Fantasy players, um, this may look familiar to you. There is a spell called Mass Frog. <laughs> it's yeah. it is exactly what you think it is. It is it is a polymorph spell. You hit a whole bunch of people. Uh sorry, a 40-foot radius hemisphere. Uh you turn all medium or smaller creatures in the area into frogs. They're still them, but they are frogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they it's this says that they retain their mental faculties, including personality, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma scores, uh, level, class, all that. Um, but they're frogs. It's just it's so it's just chef's kiss. Just like that that's what I love about like I feel like the vibe difference, right, between these like the classic named epic level spells, like Yes, they're solving a problem, but it's like solving a story problem, right? It's like uh, the other the other spell that Proctive is known for is Proctive's Move Mountain, which uh, we mentioned earlier about how um, Iolum was the the person who sort of like made the flying cities. Proctive's Move Mountain was sort of the baseline in which he built on that, right? Right, the, uh, the foundation of it. Right, and so it's like okay, like yeah. The thing that you're doing is truly an epic feat. Like you are moving mountains. This is a this is a wild thing spoken of in folklore. Like, you know, you're you're out there opening portals out into space. You're you're out here doing all these things. Whereas the newer epic spells are like, yeah, I'm gonna solve a problem. But I'm gonna do it. Yeah, I'm just I'm gonna do it in as slapstick, goofy way as I can. Like you know, oh yeah, I guess I could cast the super poisoning raging fireball of FU. Why don't we just turn everyone into frogs? Just let's just send you into space. Let's just, turn you into a frog. Yeah, yeah, why not both, right? Like why not turn everyone into frogs and then just one by one just yeet them directly into the sun? Like I don't know. It's just it's a very slapstick way to do this and I know I, I never got a chance to play um, in, in epic levels in 3.5, but I remember very fondly looking through those books as a as a teenager and just chuckling, just laughing. It's just it's so silly. Uh, I, I highly recommend if you're out there and you like you need a little bit of inspiration for just an absolutely unhinged high level spellcaster <laughs> like. Just just go take a little peeky poo. Just just go look and you know, pick your favorite two and have those be the big signature spells of your big bad guy. Cause they they're wild, man. I mean, even something that isn't sort of like goofy, but uh Hellball. I mean the, the name itself like like I said, like there's no sort of evocative, like poetic name to it. It's a spell that casts that deals 10d6 points of acid damage, 10d6 points of fire damage, 10d6 points of, of electricity damage, and 10d6 points of sonic damage to all characters within a 300 foot range. And or 40 foot radius, I'm sorry. Uh, it has a range of 300 feet. And so obviously that's not you know, that's not a goofy spell. You know, you're you're hitting them with 40d6 points of different types of damage. But the name itself, Hellball, like, what do we call that? We call that Hellball. Why I, not? You know what? At this point, why not, right? Why like, not? Man, that... these, these, yeah, these spells are, are fantastic in many different ways. I don't know if you ever watched, um, uh, like, Slayers or Record of Lodos War, um, the animes from the 90s. Mm-hmm. But like they are uh, they are based on games that came from second edition D&D making its way to Japan and like spells like Hellball, like that's that kind of vibe that that is the like 
I want to make such an absurdly powerful spell that it only makes sense in anime. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> this is an anime spell for sure. It's, ah, oh God, I love that stuff. <laughs> and so it says you point your finger and determine the range, both distance and height, at which the hell ball is to detonate. A sun-bright, fist-sized globe of strobing energy streaks forth, and unless it impacts a material body or solid barrier prior to attaining the indicated range, blossoms into an effect described by the rare survivor as hell on Earth. <laughs> Fantastic. And some of these spells actually cost XP to uh, to cast, which is a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. And that was... I mean, yeah, that was a big thing of uh, actually a lot of earlier editions where certain magic items and, and things would cost experience points to make them. But the the real fun thing, too, I mean, not that that's not also fun, but the uh, the juicy thing, the people that really had people doing uh, the optimization about was um, a lot of these spells, because of the way you would have to build them, um, you could make them easier to cast if you gave it backlash. So it would deal damage to you when you cast it. Right. Which makes sense, right? Like, that's that's also a good old-fashioned fantasy trope of, like, oh, no, I can't control the power. Or I, you know, I have like to it, make it, a sacrifice. It, it's so powerful that even you are not immune to it. Yeah. I mean, even up into modern day with, with uh, you know, Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet, right? Like, you know, some right. some spells have a cost to be paid. Uh, but, you know, if you're, if you're doing all sorts of wild damage mitigation optimization, you just, you're over there playing wizard ball. It's like, ah, yes, how can I make sure that my wizard doesn't take damage? Or how can I shunt this damage off onto another bad guy? It just, it it was goofy times. It was a different time. (laughs) And I feel like, like I said, with the whole vibe that 5e has now, I think that these kinds of spells are tailor-made for 5th edition. It's true. I What I like is, and I haven't looked at the most recent updated list but when fifth edition had first come out and i think after i think after rhyme of the frost made didn't come out too um there were a number of boons that you could be bestowed like from the dungeon master's guide or from wherever um and these boons are very similar to sort of what um epic level feats and things like that were like in 3.5 yeah on uh on the fifth edition dungeon master's guide page 230 um you might decide to grant one of the following rewards to a 20th level character instead of awarding an epic boon um you could give somebody an ability score uh improvement you could give them a new feat or you could give them something like oh uh the demonic boon of the garistro where if you make a pact with a garistro uh you just don't get lost like you just you can't get lost you are immune to being lost yeah like i feel like that's sort of uh not you know uh one for one for a 10th level spell but i mean there the the mechanics are sort of there for something that is more than the magic that is contained within the books right now that's true. Or like, um, here in Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, you can get a a boon from the Cult of Garion, where you, let's see, yeah, if you're a cult leader, you can gain Indomitable Strength, which is effectively like, um, not quite a legendary action, but like a, a rechargeable ability, like a lot of monster characters or um, uh, monster entries have, where. Uh, you can have indomitable strength, which recharges on a five or six, and then, uh, you know, as a reaction when you take damage, you can roll a d10 and subtract the the damage from it. Like, and I think if if you were to try and bring epic spells or epic boons or things like that into fifth edition, I think making them function like legendary actions or or legendary resistances or things like that, I think that's the way to go. Right. Right. I think like, you might be right. I which, think the I think you know five uh, e sort of kind of falls apart uh, at a certain level, like around tier four. Yeah, 
And so I think hopefully they address that in the the revised uh 2024 editions that they're working on. You know, they did mention that the the Vecna adventure they're working on is a is a level 20 campaign. You so, know, I oh. I wonder, I just wonder um cuz the last time I I mean I would be fine with them for doing it, but of course the last time they brought Vecna into things that was how they changed the edition, right? Um Right. You may remember uh, Die Vecna Die or The Vecna The for all of our German fans, um, where, you know, that is, that, a, was... that is a deep Simpsons cut and I appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, like it's it's the thing where like at the end of the adventure, spoilers, uh, it changes from second edition to third edition. And that's right. the excuse is that like, yep, why are you... things different? Why mechanically, why are things different? Yeah. Vecna did some shit. You did some shit. And congratulations. Uh, the world is different now. And, right. you know, I'm I'm down with that. Like if if they want to make a 20th level adventure where you go punch Vecna in the face and that's how they want to justify updating the rules. You know, I do kind of want to go punch Vecna in the face. Who doesn't? Who would in this day and age of wanting to punch Vecna in the face? We can't just let Matt Mercer and the crew do it. Like Exactly. If it's good enough for Matt Mercer, it's good enough for you, dear listener. Exactly. Uh, the last uh, epic level spell that I want to talk about is Iolum's Longevity. So Iolum obviously is the the guy who kind of made Netheril what it was, more or less. And his disappearance was sort of the catalyst of its downfall. And this was... Uh, it was rumored that uh, he was using magic to prolong his life. He was apparently 3,000 years old. But Iolum's longevity deals 20d6 points of damage to every creature within its area. Its area is a 120-foot radius. That is a big map. That's yeah. a big old map. Uh, a living target that is reduced to a negative 10 or fewer hit points is utterly destroyed, as if disintegrated leaving behind only a trace of fine dust. Now, this is why it's... And you would think, like, why is it called Iolum's Longevity? That seems like a like a hammer smashing everything in its, in its path. That sounds like a Hulk smash spell. Well, this spell also extends the caster's current age category by one year for every living creature it slays. It's very, very... uh egalitarian or maybe that's not the word but very equal that way i suppose doesn't matter you know oh it's not the go out and sacrifice babies or sacrifice goats or <laughs> you know every life is the same you you trade one life for one year um you know it seems like the uh that's one of those things where you go maybe go find an ant mound or something and just go okay well i'm gonna gain a thousand years off of this ant mound or this termite mound i think i'll be okay for a while um, I mean, it it does say like a living target doesn't necessarily. It does say it has to be human or demi human or anything like that. That's what I'm saying, man. Those things got one hit point at best. Like, <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's fun too. Again, you want to talk about anime spells? Like that feels very uh, Full Metal Alchemist or any number of other things. But it's what I like about that era of spells is that like. It has given you a reason why the story was the way it was. Like, the story touched on the fact that he was unnaturally long-lived and that he disappeared and nobody knows why. And you know what? Sometimes you gotta know why. Sometimes you just have to know. But, of course, that thirst for knowledge is sort of what got us here in the first place, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And like I said, it's rev- it, it, the, the lore is there as far as ILM and and what happened to him and perhaps we'll touch on that in another episode but like i said it has to do with liches and and alhoons and elder brains and all those disgusting things that i love so much <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us adam it was a always a treat i hope to have you on again soon i would absolutely love it it's gonna be a new year soon actually well oh man now that i've said that i don't know when you're publishing this so maybe oh, it's already is... january by the oh time no this is listen. this is this week Oh, oh, good. Oh, well, yeah, in that case, happy end of year, various and sundry holidays to everyone. Um, 
go buy everyone you know a copy of the uh, the complete guide to doppelgangers and one night strad if you want to i would appreciate it but like you don't have to <laughs> you should it's it's it'll make your life better at the very least and here's i have way too many tabletop role playing game books like more than any normal or sane person should have i haven't read probably more than 30% of them but you know from in completion but what i have read like it, it it's it's inspiration for for my games for you know for uh, for homebrew campaigns for my my dm style for you know uh, even even a, even official adventures that i run uh like they'll be like okay i i don't like that aspect of this so i'll change it into something i read in this other adventure and so the more you read the more you the more content you ingest the the better you are as as a tabletop player the dm player whatever it is and that extends beyond dnd like just read as much tabletop stuff as you can absolutely it'll, it'll make you better i promise yeah, you know what? Can I can I plug some people that are not me and are not necessarily related to me? But absolutely, like, I just there are, and I'll give you links for all these too. So anybody listening to this, you'll you'll have ways to get to it. But um, recently, Pax Unplug happened. Um, I got to go and I uh, spent more money than was reasonable picking up um, a lot of things. <laughs> but um, but the reason I did it. Aside from the fact that, you know, supporting indie developers is always good. Like, there were a number of things that I picked up for research purposes to get get an idea of the vibe of, like, things that you can do to make your other games better. And so, like, we, we had been talking about the, um, the old school essentials off mic. But, like, the old school essentials guys, they're out there, like, doing, um, like, second edition, first edition compatible things. Uh, they have their own rule book, obviously, but like it's interesting to look at those as new adventures that are written for a game that is 40, 50 years old now. Right. Like to, to go look and see like, OK, we've had the benefit of several decades of design philosophy changes. Like how do we take the those old rules and use modern sensibility? And like, what does that mean for other editions? Like and. By the same token, there's a big old school renaissance of just taking modern stuff and being able to retrofit it for older things that are less about having a, a predetermined narrative, but more of a a collaborative storytelling experience. Right. Um, the There is a publishing company called Plus One EXP. Um, they put out a lot, um, like a lot, a lot. Uh, they they have a fantasy game called Down We Go, uh, which you can take D&D things and retrofit it to that, uh, which I think is really neat. Um, but it also, like, the way that they boil things down, because it's very rules light, like, it really makes you think about, like, okay, what makes a character a character? What makes a monster a monster? What What makes a challenge a challenge? Like, how do you boil that down to a couple of words and then make that interesting and have the table engaged and like using the tools that they have in their mind, not necessarily what's on their, um, what's on their character sheets. I don't know. It just, it, it invites a lot of like, we always talk about like, Oh man, I really love it when, you know, so-and-so came up with this really cool idea and you know, the, the DM like rule of cooled it and you know, it, it shouldn't have worked based on the rules, but like everybody had a really good time. Like, encouraging that's, people to do that man yeah, that's the whole point right like i i understand why people love having rules to explicitly say things like okay now i know how to cast let me go or let go of me and <laughs> right. deal 20 damage to or uh, 20 d6 damage to everything like i i get it like having parameters is good but just as good is like the the collaborative joy at the table of being like yeah yeah, this is fucking cool. Like, I want to do this rad thing. And everyone at the table going, yeah, yeah, that is rad. Like, you should do that. And I don't know. They, they've got a lot of um, system agnostic stuff, too. Uh, so it's stuff that you can pick up for D&D. &D or uh, if you start 
playing something in D&D and you're like, you know, actually, I, maybe I want to go try one of these other games. You could take this setting over to it and and just keep going. And it's, I don't know. I, I know there aren't a lot of places, although there are more now, that will, um you know, publish system agnostic content. Even if it is system agnostic, you know, maybe with one or two games in mind, like, you know, Pathfinder, D&D, what have you. Right, um, right. But like being able to find system agnostic content is... I, I recommend that to everyone because at that point, that's just inspiration. Like, no, that, yeah, absolutely. You don't have to worry about doing math. Like, I, I done got me an English degree. I don't want to do <laughs> no math. Thank yeah, you very exactly. much. Like, I, but to be able to read, to use my eyeballs and think about things, like, that's great. And then I can go take that to any game I want to go play. And I don't know. I just, I recommend it. You're absolutely right. Read games that are not the game that you play. Whether that is if you only play indie RPGs, go read some play D&D books. Go read some indie RPGs. Like it will only make you a better player and a better DM and a better creator. 100%. Couldn't agree with you more. Now get off my soapbox and go back <laughs> to my coffin. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, dear listener, for making us a part of your life, at least for this small amount of time. We hope that you join us again next week for more lore. My name is Sergio. I'm Adam Seats. Fare thee well, dear listener. And until we meet again, may all your 20s be natural. Thank you for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, consider following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at D&D Lorecast or jumping into the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons and Dragons. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net